Yo, this is Rob Harvilla from 60 Saws That Explain the 90s, the world's greatest loopy and perverse and inaccurately named music nostalgia podcast. We're doing 90 songs now because there's too many songs. Pearl Jam, Jay-Z, Jewel, U2, Cher, Hootie. These are just some of the names people yell at me on the internet because we're back. More great songs, more rad special guests, more loopy perversity. Join us once more on 60 Songs That Explain the 90s every Wednesday on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Listeners, welcome. This is Sound Only. I'm Justin Cherry. And I'm Mike Peters. We're your Sound Only co-hosts, here to record our deepest, darkest thoughts. Also, Micah doesn't want you to know that I just saw him sipping a little something. <laughs> and he just wagged his finger and told me to shut the fuck up. But I saw it. I seen it. <laughs> Sound only, though. That's the name of the podcast. No video <laughs> evidence. No video evidence. Here to record our deepest, darkest thoughts about the millennial lifestyle, hip-hop, anime, video games, boxing movies, Creed boxing 3 in stores. movies. Creed 3 almost in stores now. Not this week, though. We sl- Listen, here's the thing. I hadn't watched, Mike, I hadn't watched uh, Creed 2. I actually just kept putting it off. And I finally went back. I was like, okay, I'm going to go back, rewatch Creed 1, Classic, should have went triple. Like all the shit, by the way, I talk about Michael B. Jordan on this podcast. I want it to be clear that the the Michael B. Jordan and Stallone performances in Creed One are special. unassailable. Yeah, unassailable. It's like, it is literally the exact perfect mold for both of those actors. There, I mean, like their rapport the is, is insane in that movie. Yeah, the stuff that they, like it's because it really is just kind of like he is a nerd and Sylvester yeah. Sloan is a recluse. Like there's like it's it's it makes the their relationship makes a lot of sense. It's very like alive in the first movie. It's very good and yes. it's a movie ass movie in the respect that it is straightforward. And like it's traditionalism as a boxing movie, but yeah. it works like a treat. Like I yeah. mean, the 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 moment in the ring in the in the first movie, 
where he goes back to the corner before the 12th round and his eye is swollen shut. And is and they're talking about like, you know, all right, I'm throwing the towel. You can't see, you can't protect yourself. And he's just like, nah, I got to prove it. And the music drops out. And he's just like, I got to prove I'm not a mistake. I kept it thug all the way up until that. Yeah. And then, mm. you know, it's just, it, it works. It works. And then Creed 2, not as bad as people prepared me to believe it to be, to be honest with you. Like, I don't, I don't it does, it's certainly not as good as the first movie, but no, like few movies are as good as Creed 1, including yeah. in the rest of the Rocky franchise, right? I, we won't belabor all this because we're going to have a whole dedicated episode next week about Creed, Creed 2, and the forthcoming Creed 3, right? But like, Creed 2, and you know what? I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I have, I have taste. <laughs> well, I actually will. enjoyed it a lot, though. Creed 2, I, I liked it. It's not great, but it's not bad, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. You were, you were fucking the with fights the, are bad. The you know what it is? The, with the, the fights are the t-shirt around his mouth and like, you know, using the sledgehammer on the tractor tire. That was, you were, you were fucking with that? Oh, is that, the, I don't know. The the fighting, the fight choreography is not nearly as good. Yeah. Oh, um, um, yeah. But again, we will get, we will get into all of this on, in, in a, in, in a special Creed deep dive when, the, yes. when, when Creed 3 comes out. So. Um, I think in the run up to this, right. We know we're talking about Creed 3 next week. I think in the run-up to this, there's, like, so much stuff, obviously, that, like, we don't dedicate entire episodes to, but that I think also we don't necessarily play at the pace of the discourse. For instance, I was explaining to Micah that I finally watched Tar, and I'm I'm mad as fuck because, like, that's the kind of movie that... That's, like, a rare instance where, like, I wish I had been around for the Twitter discourse in real time about Tar, and now I'm late. And now uh, you have no one to share your enthusiasm with? Yeah. Except you! Yeah. Except you! That, you, you know, sometimes, sometimes that is the function of this podcast. Um, I, did, you, did you watch Tar? Did you I, still, I still haven't seen Tar. Okay. Tar is still on my list. I haven't been in a pensive enough mood for Tar. I've been watching things that have been louder, more bombastic. Um, um, I'm sure you're familiar with like the whole discourse about that movie and like cancel culture and stuff like that, right? Sure. And... You know, what I find really refreshing in speaking to my spirit about Tar is that, like, yeah, it, it is about those things. But, it, but it's, like, it's a very generational sort of, like, you have this composer, it's Kate Blanchett, all her sort of peers are these older white guys who are, like, just, like, racist and sexist and shit. But also, she's kind of anti-woke and works with all these kids who got, like, pink hair and shit and this really annoying light-skinned nigga in the beginning of the movie who doesn't like Bach, blah, 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 blah. And it really is just a movie about how everyone's annoying, which is, like, not to be both siderism about everything, but that, that to me, is the true essence of that movie, is that everybody, everybody that can be made out to be a caricature in the culture war in this way that could be represented in a, in a big, you know, big headline movie is like just annoying and can be really annoying even when they're right about shit. And that, that's, that's, yeah, that resonated with me. The worst person, you know, has a point, the album, the movie. Yeah. The album, the movie. No, for real though, the soundtrack, the album, the movie, the cast recording, original cast <laughs> recording. Um, uh. Soundtrack by Mahler. You know what I mean? Uh, you should watch. You should watch. Talk. I, uh, uh, like I am going to give it a spin. Oh, I 
was watching shittier movies. I had a bit of a Ryan Gosling double feature. I was in a dark enough place that I finally watched The Gray Man just because I wanted to know exactly how boring an Anthony Russo, Joe <laughs> Russo movie not revolving around like a, like a property that you already knew about would be. Yeah. And there's really like absolutely... There really is nothing there. <laughs> I mean, like everybody that reviewed that thing was right. Um, there's a there's a lot of like over the top action sequences that are fun to you know that are fun to disbelieve. I guess like sort of like why would this fist fight take place in a you know on a battlefield of Chinese fireworks? Why is Ryan Gosling pulled up into you know the center? square in Prague handcuffed to a bench in the middle of a firefight involving several SWAT teams and several kill teams. Um, why, 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 why are always questions you could ask, but the movie continually just says, why not? And Ryan Gosling, I think, is... I just like the exhaustion that he plays the character with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was talking about this when I was talking about another like low-rate Netflix action thriller that could not exist anywhere else. Definitely not on the tier of movie theater and not, you know, like not quite a TV movie that liminal space that Netflix projects exist in. It's one of those types of action thrillers, but it was Kate. And Oh um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like and I, yeah. Yeah. I you know, I I like the exhaustion that that character, you know expresses and Ryan Gosling just you could say like when an actor's like having fun has no idea why they're there but is is like you know is putting that all into the performance um it's even if there's not a whole lot of other things there like he's funny um and then I watched a better movie immediately after that nice guys uh the Shane Black movie with him and Russell Crowe and he's just fantastic in that as well um, but when the did real, Nice Guys come out? When did, how that was, was 2016. Okay. 2016. Um, uh, the, 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 the thing that actually consumed most of my attention this past weekend that was Rogue Heroes. And I just would have never found it if I wasn't in the place of boredom that I was in. You know, I am Explain. going to start. You know the specific kind of menu scrolling malaise that you get on whichever streaming service, after you've cycled through all of them and realize you've watched most of the obvious things. Yeah. Or at least um, skipped, you've already, you've skipped it 10 times. You're just like, Yeah, and now heard. you're ready to start a seven-day free trial. Like, yeah. whether or not you, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, you know, like, this looks interesting. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, because what is MGM Plus, you know? Why is there a streaming service for that? Why does it have its own thing? I would never, like, it, it's, despite, like, there being these tiles of interesting-looking shows on this rung on Amazon Prime, I would never do it because it's just like, I don't want to start a new trial for Haya so I can watch uh, Ichi the Killer, you know? Mm -hmm. Until you do. So <laughs> there is um, the new Stephen Knight project, like, after the conclusion of Peaky Blinders, which season six was last year. Mm -hmm. There's supposed to be like a movie coming out in 2024. Um, he created a new sh newer show called Rogue Heroes. I think it came out at the end of October. Um, and it is 
one of those shows that has like disclaimers about its proximity to history or, or like most the things that seem most ridiculous are mostly true. And he was talking about writing the show. He had to actually tone down some of the actual things that happened during Britain's campaign in Northern Africa between yeah. 1941 and 1943 to make it believable. Um, and the show is kind of as much about the historical beats as it is about a bunch of like directionless men waiting in the middle of the desert. <laughs> um, and it's enjoyable for those reasons. I mean, like it's kind of like this throwback to like Vietnam era, like movies, like good morning Vietnam and like the A team. And yeah. like, this is a show where the, where like the, 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 the creation of the special air service regiment of the British military is created like a cro a comic book crossover event. This person is from the long range desert division. And this person is from, you know, the air, like this air division that's been grounded forever. And this one is an infantryman. And this one is, but they're all insubordinate and like are fed up with the way that the campaign is being conducted and the Nazis are taking everything and we have to try new and unpredictable things. And it's sort of like about that, but mm -hmm. it's also just like about the relationships between these men. It's such a, it's a manly man thing. I'm not, I mean, obviously, but it kind of splits the difference between that sort of like boyish, we're in the desert with, you know, Vickers machine guns, which we treat like toys and also like realizing what the cost of all this stuff is, which you eventually beat. And who knows if I'm not really going to, you know, prattle on about the cost of war and all this other stuff and what is responsible and what is not. But, uh, like, the relationship in between Connor Swindles, he plays uh, the Phantom Major, David Sterling, and uh, Jack O'Connell, who plays uh, the character who eventually becomes Colonel Major Patty Maine. Uh, and their relationship is a lot like the one that Tommy and Alfie Solomons have in Peaky Blinders. Did I ever talk to you about this? Like Tom Hardy and Chili Murphy like have, sorry, three, two, one. Tom Hardy and Killian Murphy have the most compelling thing yeah. relationship in Peaky Blinders. Like they're weird sort of adversarial, friendly, brotherly you know, maybe clandestine respect that they have for each other that comes really close to love, but is like more about the friction between the two characters. Oh, um, like they just kind of know where to needle each other. And in a, in an ultra violent show where there's dismemberments of bodies being riddled by bullets and carnage and human cost, the most exhilarating things, the most exhilarating conversations or the most exhilarating scenes in the show happen in closed spaces and they're just conversations between two people. Like Peaky Blinders is good for the speeches that Tommy gets to, gets to have 
or that like the the like the play and talk that you know like Tom Hardy gets to do with his wild eyed acting like Jack O'Connell is you know like some an actor in the mold of Tom Hardy like you never really know what it is that Patty Maine is going to do next like he's sort of like a warrior poet type character but also just like a just a Scottish madman um so I it's like very I, I really enjoy like how that character develops throughout the the six episodes, knowing like having read nothing about like the actual person and like their place in history. The Connor Swindles was in Sex Education. I like I kept looking at him and thinking Jonathan Groff, uh, but like the two of them and their like their rapport is the draw for the show, in my opinion. I, too, have been watching a violent and high-minded show. And that show, me, you know what? It's me and Cardi B out here uh, watching you. You. Penn Badgley's you. Wow. Uh, yeah, wow. And here's the thing. Like, and like we, I think, I think we, we talk about this every now and again. It's like TV, right? TV, ideally. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, people have lost their way. But TV should be trash. TV is trash. It should be trash. It should ideally be trash. We should revel in TV as this thing that is like a screen. I love the trash. Homes. It strengthens you know, me. It strengthens me, right? Like, the reason why it's good for movies to be artful and all this shit, because you had, you, you know, at least there was a time when you had to leave your home and go to a theater and blah, blah, blah. You had to buy specialty equipment. TV, sometimes I just want TV. I don't want TV to like have to reinvent the medium every other year, right? I want TV to be you. You is trash, but it is like brilliant trash. Like I did, you know what I mean? It's like I shouldn't like is, the okay. show about so the serial a, killer who talks two, to himself in a voiceover and sounds creepy as fuck and weird. Okay, but uh, <laughs> another movie, like a, like another movie that I like, I recently watched again, like for mm -hmm. the first time in a very long time, was Memento, and it's the exact uh, sort of, it's the exact same sort of. That voiceover. This is, <laughs> yeah, it's like what you're describing to me. Now I kind of like want to try you. I've never watched it, but it's so, like, is it is it just really good genre fair? Is that what you're describing or is it like, you know, because I mean, like when we're saying trash, right? Mm -hmm. Trash is not necessary. I mean, like not like there's a distinction between trash and ass. Like, I mean, like, yeah, we, for sure. It's trash. Cheeks, you know, we yeah, tra cheeks. trash as in like something that is like self-consciously trash. Trash as in. Maybe trash is a little bit too strong. Like, I mean, something that knows what it is and doesn't attempt to be more than that. Well, can I? Okay, I'll, I'll give you um, an illustration with a comparison. So it's like, I've been to Tokyo once, right? Mm -hmm. And it was like this two-week trip, right? And if you're in Tokyo, right, you're an American, like, sure, you can get up at 6 a.m. and go to the fish market and wait in line to one of those stalls that opens around 9 a.m., 10 a.m., and sells you the freshest fish, the freshest sushi that you can eat on Earth. And it's amazing, right? It's truly amazing, right? Like, melts-in-your-mouth shit, right? 
But sometimes the thing you want is the garbage conveyor belt sushi that you can get at 3 a.m. immediately after you spilled out of karaoke, right? Like, is it obviously worse than if you were at, like, right at where they caught the fucking fish and hauled it into the restaurant at 10 a.m.? Obviously, it's worse, right? It's sweating. It's sweating on your plate. It's been riding around a conveyor belt for 20 minutes before anybody (laughs) touched it. But it also is like, the thing that you want. You wouldn't want to be drunk as fuck coming out of karaoke at 3 a.m. eating fucking premium sushi. You want the conveyor belt sushi. And that is kind of like, it, it, I'm glad you actually brought up Memento, right? Because like Memento, I, I, don't, I don't like Memento, I'll be honest with you. But I think you're specifically right about kind of the spirit of the, the intensity, like that voiceover intensity. And it's like, yeah, it is kind of like this really kind of, intense genre thing that you kind of have I mean, the to... Batman is, is also yeah. another like, <laughs> yes, point of comparison there. Yeah. Yeah. Like super up its own ass, but in a way that you kind of have to respect, right? Like you either buy into it or you don't. You was like that, right? Like, because yeah. anybody... You either I, decide that the voiceover is annoying and intrusive. Or, yeah. 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 Because that's the thing. It's, an, it's There's no middle ground. Like, it's not the kind of show that's self-conscious enough to be like, well, there's going to be a voiceover, but we have to... Ra- it's like, no, this nigga Joe on on you, if any character says anything, he immediately steps all over it with the voiceover, right? Like, it's the whole, it's the whole hallmark, hallmark of the show is that this nigga is constantly just narrating everything that everyone else is saying in the show. And it's like, you just have to be... I don't know. It's just like creepy. It's, a, it's this weird vibe. Our producer, Stefan, just chatted us said, like, Joe is the sickest person on TV. And he's right, dog. Like, season three of You, like, the previous season before this new season, which I should say, season four of You, Netflix is doing a thing. They're releasing it in two parts. The first five episodes are out. I'm on, I'm on episode three, right? Um, they're doing this, like, this man is now, you know, in Europe, in France, in England. He's a professor. He's a professor. He's like constructing an Agatha Christie mystery, but also he's a serial killer in hiding, but also somebody has his number and they killing niggas and now he's trying to solve a <laughs> cr- You know what I mean? And it's like, it's, it's, it's wild, bro. It's wild and it's trashy, right? Like, Penn Badgley knows how to deal in trash and it's beautiful. I fucking love you. I don't know that we would ever do a dedicated episode about you unless you really loved the show and caught up on all of it. But I it's mean, my story. I, like, I, I, like knowing that I have seen other things and the mold of it makes me a little more susceptible to. Ah, I'll cue it up and give it fifteen well, minutes. But, but I will, I, your point about Memento, though, like that's definitely not like. I mean, like, I'm not saying, like, I know that Memento is Memento and Christopher Nolan is Christopher Nolan. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, like, and this is, and and the movie itself, like, has, like, there won't be a Sammy Jankus in in, uh, in you, you know? There's not going to be the, you know, concurrent running philosophizing about the supernatural nature of memory. Like, I I don't think that that this show is going to have that, but I mean, the Batman didn't have that either, but you got yeah. like the mood of the movie because Robert Pattinson was doing that creepy voiceover to uh, 
that 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 Nirvana song, uh, something in the way. Yeah, it's just like if if you get the tone right and you get the traffics right, like it will be enough for a Netflix thing. Yes, yeah, I agree with that. It's also that like you, um, to the point about trash as well. It's that you goes to some truly bizarre deranged places like season three has like this whole arc with these swingers and it's just i don't even spoil it it's just like go you should watch you at least up to season three because it's just like the shit that happens and the outbursts people are having and it's just you it's like a fever dream of a season of television and it is ambitious in its own way right like it's sort uh-huh. of it's it's it, again it's not like intellectual ambitious it's ambitious in the kind of like more anime bullshit direction of like, what the fuck is happening on this show? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like, Pim Badgley is a sicko. That's that's all I can say. Like, Pim Badgley is a sicko. Uh, the whole... But, and then season four is good because it's kind of this, like, uh, you know, listeners, before we started recording, I was, I was describing this to Stefan and Mike, and I was like, look, you, season four is my glass onion. Honestly, because it's just like it's like Explain a bunch that of statement. Yeah, no, because it's just a thing where it's like in. it's just like like this season is kind of like the setup is sort of murder mystery in a university setting with like, you know, it's like Joe, the character Joe, right? He's sort of like on the lamb because he's like the serial killer. and He's always kind of having to move on to like a new place and sort of try to, you know, the tension in his character is that he's always trying to talk himself into the idea that he 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 can get right with God, right? But he can't. He can't. He's always going to regress, right? And this time, he's kind of like integrating with this group of people in this new place where he's settling down. And all the people suck. They're just these like rich, like fame-obsessed assholes. They're just like uppity British people that he finds himself kind of ingratiated with. They all kind of like they always give him shit about the fact that he dresses like shit and he dresses like a professor and he doesn't have any money and he's just, but he's in this milieu. Right. And so it's like the joy of this season is that like all these people suck. And you kind of, you kind of want all of them to turn up dead progressively throughout the season. Mm. Okay. So this is the show's discourse doubling back on itself. Like this is kind of a vindication of him badly sitting across from whoever that interview was, that interviewer was talking about like, you guys shouldn't be thirsting after me because I am doing <laughs> terrible things. Okay. It's gossip girl. All right. Not gossip, <laughs> whatever. You know, like I like having him become a superhero in season four. is like the only logical projection for the show. It seems like, well, no, actually I would say in season four, the dynamic is, is maybe a, is like, the reverse of that, which is in season four, he really is kind of way more of a fly on the wall, right? He actually, I think, yeah. Plays well, up I mean, like, okay, better. not super. Superhero is probably the wrong characterization of it, but you know, like when the thing is where you are, and succession is like this, where you're sort of waiting for comeuppance for somebody else yeah, on screen, sure. and there's an agent that can dole it out. And the only person you know or are familiar with is this, you know, it's the devil, you know. Yeah, that actually, I would say, is the fundamental thing in in all of you that's very good about you. That mm-hmm. comeuppance thing you're saying of, like, Penn Badgley, in his weird, anguished way, is this kind of agent of, like, he is this agent of comeuppance 
for characters who are like introduced specifically to annoy you personally. Like I'm thinking of the weatherman in season three. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm. He is the agent of comeuppance, but in a really okay. roundabout way. Uh, yeah. Tortured, anguished, talking yeah, to himself like, constantly. Sort of way. a little bit like Dexter in that in that regard. See, I never watched Dexter, so I don't okay. know. I, I don't so have the, yeah, the like I mean, point. this is it sounds like Dexter to me. Okay. Um, with a bit of a twist. But yeah. Yes. I have to give it a spin. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Oh, okay. Wait, we... Okay. You have to address the game. You just talk about Hogwarts Legacy. <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah, so... I, I haven't played it. I haven't played it all yet. But you, uh, you... <laughs> yeah, like I have, <laughs> I have played a couple of hours of it. It's like basically milk toast Elden Ring to me. <laughs> like I, I was playing it and being like, "Wow, this is tight." I should go back to. I should figure out a way to play the Elden Ring randomizer. Actually, have you seen those videos on YouTube? There's yes. actually this. Oh, I've too. seen. A, I've watched. Yeah. hundreds of hours um, of Elden um, Ring <laughs> randomizer content, I promise uh, you. Those it's it's so good. I like I it's because once you beat the game and you know like where the enemies are and what's coming and what ha- and what spawns at what time of day. Yeah. Like there is a certain element to like that one meme about like uh souls like players in the shower and it's like, you know, some guy stepping into the rain and dodging all of the raindrops like <laughs> because you're memorizing an attack pattern. Yeah. Like yeah. introducing that element of chaos makes the brings you back to the exasperation that you felt playing it the first time, I think I feel like. And witnessing other people have that is very funny. Um but I digress. Um that was like sort of how it was sold to me, like by like my best friend who had been playing it for a couple of days beforehand, before I finally downloaded it and gave it a whirl. Um, and you know, like he's just like, "This, this is the best." Like, say, like kind of parroting what most reviews have that are just talking about the experiential nature of the game have said, which is that it feels like a Warner Brothers game. It feels like a Warner Brothers open world uh, game. Okay. Like, sort of, remember before I picked up Elden Ring, I was talking about why would I pick up Elden Ring when I could just play Shadow of War again? Mm-hmm. And 
while the nemesis system in that game is fun, the like it gets very repetitive very quickly and it's like there's sort of not the same notes of inspiration that you feel playing Elden Ring. Like I think I was describing playing uh Godric the first time and being like, I know I can I can picture like the the dev that scripted the scene where he gets the dragon hand head on his head, like, mm-hmm. you know, and says, like, bear witness. I can imagine him screaming that into his bathroom mirror when he was the morning when he was about <laughs> to pitch that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you don't get that same kind of feeling playing Warner Brothers games. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel you. I think yeah. you said that. I'm thinking all the like the Riker stuff in Elden yes. Ring. All well, of that just dude's like, voice so creepy and <laughs> for no reason. Yeah, like uh yeah, like you know, Piff a bit at water doesn't get to be as threatening as Valenia every day. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Elder Ring kind of cursed the Hogwarts legacy shit too with the the fact that there is that whole segment of the map that is just fucking Hogwarts. It's Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was just like, I should go, I should turn this shit off and go back to Ray Lucaria <laughs> right now. Like, my own Hogwarts. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, but I mean, listen, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go ahead and lay it on you because I wrote down two notes for my entire playing experience from Hogwarts Legacy. The first one. The game is fervently anti-poaching as much as it matters to the plot. But then... Okay, so like there's there's all these missions, like there's these missions where you gotta save magical beasts from like... the, the, The open worldness of it is that it does get a bit repetitive. The combat feels like you get to feel very powerful very early. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's kind of unbalanced in that way. If you get good at stealth, you don't really have to get good at anything else. Um, like, especially after you learn, like, the unforgivable curses, which are all side quests and all this other stuff. And your, like, power-up special moves. Like, your ability to wield ancient magic, which is also connected to, like, this plot about your strange connection to the the central evil figure of this world which is before like it's hogwarts in like the 1800s so you're dealing with goblins instead of voldemort or whatever but there's a super powerful one but anyway like you will defeat him eventually i imagine with like your command of ancient magic which is just all that anybody refers to it for, like as, but it's like your ability to call down thunder and you can pick people up and slam them like the Hulk did Loki at the end yeah. of the first Avengers movie. Like, yeah. And it makes you feel a little bit too powerful to be a student, you know? Like, because you're just whacking niggas like just the Just ragdoll, like, yeah. yeah like, um, Wait, can I but, point, of, point of clarification? When did yeah. you say this is set? It's uh, or like n- like the early 1900s or something. Like it's like before, like hundred a hundred years before the events of, or two hundred years before the events of the book or whatever. Okay, you know, like um, so like you know, and I mean, like again, I would miss it because like my attachment to the Harry Potter franchise is through the movies which I watched on TNT. You know, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and there is a bit of that, like, oh, we're coming over the Glen and seeing the entire Hogwarts thing and 
the valley and all the it's nice to see all the magical and honestly like there's a lot of stuff in there where you're looking around as you're jogging through Hogwarts which is like expansive it's gigantic like the mm -hmm. map is huge but stuff that you would think is like a glitch elsewhere you're like oh yeah magic like, that's right, why that person right. is like walking on the wall or why that you know suit of armor is moving on its own or whatever there are like fun little grace notes like that. But the later missions are like you, there's a lot of stuff about you saving animals from like magical beasts from poachers, uh, like who are, you know, a different form of the same dark wizards you fight, you know, continuously throughout the game with, you know, hot colors on their on their waistcoats and, you know, like bandanas tied around their mouths so you know they're bad guys. Like, um, a lot of emotional string music as people, like, do basic stuns on animals to force them into crates while you're just, like, where you're gearing up to go to start the mission. But, that's, and that's what I mean by the game being anti-poaching. To go back to the note, though, but then, the only consistent way to make money is to quote unquote rescue magical beasts from their natural habitat and sell them on the open market. Hmm. <laughs> what because kind of pita ass game is this? Come I don't like now. it's like you like because it's very dip like you know, like there's a currency system, but and you have some galleons, but most of the stuff at the beginning of the game you get for free as a matter of like the course of tutorial. Uh -huh. Figuring how to out how to make money is difficult as a student, but <laughs> Like you, it's usually selling gear you find or yada, yada, yada. The, but the only thing that consistently gets you the amount of money that, you know, like you could use is capturing these animals and selling them to the, to, you know, the market who are just like, oh, we'll take good care of them. It's like this really nice black woman with like, you know, a scarf on her head and she's just like, I'll take care of it. And it feels like warmer than it otherwise should be because you're, it's just like you're doing the exact same thing the poachers were doing. Um, oh yeah. And then the second thing was, the second note was the cheat sheet for the quote unquote arithmancy doors literally just clues you into the fact that the cipher is offset by one. The hour corresponds to a zero. The rest I'd already figured out. So it's just like, they have puzzles in the game, but they're very boring and easy. Yeah, like Caesar Cipher cryptography. Oh, yeah, like, and, the, and the doors are like, they're like made to look very ornate and baroque and, uh -huh. you know, like, like a cultish. But then it's just like, oh, like I'm just supposed to add and the number corresponds to a thing. And I was just like, all right, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. But it was actually supposed to start from zero. And that was the only thing I didn't know. But in order to, you know, like go find the cheat sheet, you got to do like two side quests and go to class and do all this other stuff and then cut out a class and go to the attic and find this one sheet that tells you zero equals owl. And it's just so, it's a lot to do about nothing. Like, I'm actually very bored now. <laughs> it's just kind of like, I got to go back to playing Elden Ring this minute. Yeah, meanwhile, Ryan Lucario ain't even have classes. Niggas just getting zapped in the hallway. <laughs> Skeletons <laughs> running around, stabbing you in the back. No, but, I, okay, here's Star the thing. Like, dogs. I, I was not one of the people who was initially that excited for, like, Hogwarts Legacy. I just, Harry Potter fell off to me a long time ago. But 
the appeal of when I realized it was going to be like Elden Ring for children, for babies, right? I, I sort of like boomerang back to seeing the appeal of that, not because of wanting more Elden Ring, right? Because I can go back and play more Elden Ring. Easy, right? Mm-hmm. Just redownload it on Steam. But you know what it was? In, in we talked about this on the pod however long ago, but it was when I finally played Blood Bloodborne, right? Right. And I didn't I didn't really like Bloodborne. But one thing I really did enjoy about it and appreciate was sort of the environments of Bloodborne. Um, yeah, like, sorry to cut you no, off. No, it's, it's just like with Bloodborne, right? It was this, uh, normally as a gamer, right? I am mm-hmm. one of those people who is very proud, who's very eager to play on like high difficulty modes. I think I talk mm-hmm. about this every now and again, right? And, you know, I would actually say I'd map this onto other parts of my life, too. Right. Like we've talked about books in the podcast recently. I've talked about how I was like reading Neil Stevenson. I was reading like Cryptonomicon. Then I was reading like all the three body problem, like Remembrance of Earth. I, I mean, like there's definitely an element of like you want to challenge yourself. Like, yeah, there's elder, like it's there's no way to adjust the difficulty on Elden Ring. Right. And, right. You know, like you can make it easier for yourself based upon the different strategies you take, but it's up to you to find what those strategies are. Right. Um, But wait, to stick to the book thing for a second, it was like, then I let my former podcast co-host Cam talk me into reading Thomas Pynchon for the first time. I read (laughs) Mason and Dixon. That book is like 773 pages long and I had never read Pynchon and I was like, nah, I wasn't ready. I was and it's a good book. It's great great book but like it's like the most tired i've ever felt when finishing a book and then this whole spree of reading long ass 700 to 1000 page long books there was a point where i read uh like sayaka murata's book convenience store woman which is very short like very mm-hmm. accessible japanese social satire and it, I remember being like very refreshing in the context of otherwise being wedged in between all this other shit that was like just really challenging. Cerebral. You know? Yeah. Right. Really <laughs> cerebral. And it's sort of like, so the Hogwarts legacy thing is sort of like, yeah, you know what? There, I, I do need to take a break from being like, I need to play you, on a hardcore, merciless difficulty, blah, blah, blah. Like, I want to, maybe I do want to play Elden Ring for babies, goddammit, and ragdoll people. Brain exp- yeah, it's a smooth brain experience. It's definitely, like, there's maybe a minor, there's a minor difficulty curve in the beginning of the game where you're kind of realizing that, oh, I have to make my own health potions. They don't just like refill every time I open the uh, or reload a save, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's about it. Like, <laughs> it's not really like the, it's not really like you'll meet much resistance throughout, you know? Um, and there is like a certain level of, it feels, you know, like a red box game, if you get my meaning. Mm-hmm. Where you remember when you had like dollar rentals for Xbox and it's just, I mean, for 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 red box and it's just like, I'm going to beat Far Cry 2 this weekend mm-hmm. because the rate goes up to whatever and I don't, and like, but occasionally like you would not follow through with that. Now you just own a game like that. Yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is like one of those things, like yeah. where it's just like this feels like a red box game, if mm-hmm. that if 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 you catch my meaning, uh, like the lies of P, I think are are what is going to satisfy my 
need for, you know, souls like in the 1900s, whenever that is that that's supposed to come out. Have you seen the gameplay footage for that? It's like no. very, it's sort of bloodborne y, like steampunky. But like, yeah, I'm ready to go back to spamming the role, man. <laughs> <laughs> that That's not even the way, like, I, because the March is both um, System Shock remake but then also more importantly Resident Evil 4 remake so like my march is booked up bro like like I'm writing I'm writing 10,000 words easy about Resident Evil 4 remake like don't get me started uh maybe we talk about it on this pod maybe we don't depends Micah if you if you want to go on that journey with me that's all I can say I mean you know it would take it like it, <laughs> it would definitely be a, a like a mad cat performance for me on that one because I'm definitely not going to touch any of the other Resident Evil games. I'm going to go straight to that. Oh, one. yeah, definitely don't. Yeah, just, yeah, you, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of um, like the secret of Resident Evil, by the way, is like the fact that it's super, it's like long running series on the games, and then you have obviously the sort of like really overdetermined film chronology of Resident Evil, and yet the underlying fact is that none of the chronology of Resident Evil matters. Like, none of it matters. It's just like, they're all like, actually pretty different games. And the plot continuity of them is garbage. And everything gets retconned constantly. And it's just like, yeah, I don't know. It's it's like the most broken continuity in all of nerd fiction is fucking Resident (laughs) Evil, honestly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Other games on the horizon, Jedi Survivor. That's well, I mean, like that was pushed from March to the end of April. Not even like, you know, they weren't even like, yeah, second week of April, we got y'all. It was just like, nah, you're gonna have to wait until almost May now. Sorry, guys. Um, and then all that like Liza Pia, I don't think comes out until August. <laughs> I mean, like, I gotta wait for a minute for that one. Um, so yeah, maybe I will give give the Resident Evil game a whirl. Yeah, you also still have time to go back to Persona 5. Come on now. Let's do it. I played it for a third time recently. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Listeners, don't email me about that. <laughs> Sounds like he would like to talk about right, it. Right after, right after I played Persona 3 Portable for the first time, I played Persona 5 Royal for a third time. Yes, I know what the playtime on Persona 5 is. I want to talk about it. <laughs> right. So inundate charity with emails about Persona 5 at soundonlypod at gmail.com. Email me about literally any other Persona title. Persona 5 Strikers, Persona 4, Persona 3. He would like a deluge of Persona 5 emails, actually. Oh, God. Um, like we said up top, we will talk about Creed next week. We'll talk about Creed one, two, three. We'll even talk about. I mean, we could talk about Rocky. Like the the. I don't know if I've mentioned this in other pods, but like in high school, one of one year our marching band show was Rocky. So we did like this huge Rocky medley for marching band. Hmm. Uh, and part of this is like we the marching band had this sleepover that was a Rocky marathon where we watched all the Rocky movies while in the sort of like the band room. We all just sort of slept in the band room at my high school. Uh-huh. And it was actually like a really, it's like one of my best high school memories was this goddamn Rocky sleepover. <laughs> that's, that's fun. That's special. And, uh, was, so so how many, how many of your, of your high school band group rooted for Clubber Lang and Rocky Four? Okay. Uh, how many of them were real <laughs> niggas? Just, I'm, t- I'm t- <laughs> like, it's just, I just want to know. Jesus. 
you will get all this talking more next week on the Creed 3 episode. Um, and then again, e- also, yeah, when people email us at soundonlypod at gmail.com, please browbeat might get into playing Resident Evil 4 so that we can have an episode entirely about it on this pod and also Persona 5 because I'm I tired. don't mind being sold on it you know make your case I mean it's literally time crisis it's literally it's the, the plot oh, not of the you. game not you you've oh, been trying to make your oh, case for years up. I'm talking about yeah email us and, and make and make the case for charity because he's, he has not succeeded in, in, our, in our time together <sighs> email us about Elden Ring for babies, <laughs> Elden Ring for real niggas, whichever way you prefer, tar, anything. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Michael Peter. Shouts out to our producer, Stefan Anderson. We'll see y'all next week. Yeah.